Good morning. All right, we are going to continue a third week of our four-week series entitled Mission Possible. This is the third week. We began two weeks ago, the very first week of February, talking about what God has called us, the Living Stones Church, to by way of vision and calling to the south side of South Bend to the 42,500 people who live around the south side of South Bend in the zip codes of 46613, 4661. I caught you sleeping now. Don't do that. Hang with me, people, to 46614. If you missed it, you should go back. Go online to www.livingstones.cc. That's two C's put together, and there should be a link there to the message. You should go back and listen to that. Last week, we talked about what it means to be all in, and I wasn't talking about Texas Hold'em. I'm talking about what it means to be all in here at the Livingstones Church and what that means by way of church. And this morning, I want to continue on talking about tactics. I want to talk about something essential to the nature and heart of Jesus that we're supposed to have. The goal for 2010 for us is spiritual transformation. And when I throw those words out, who knows what comes to mind in terms of what's coming to your heart and mind when you hear the words spiritual transformation. But I don't mean it to be all kind of highfalutin and ethereal and kind of hard to grasp. I mean, it's really practical, really down to earth and that we are different, we are changing. It means that the Sam that began January 2010 will be a different Sam come December 2010. That in the process of this year, I want to look more like Jesus at the end of this year than I am at the beginning of this year. And that's our dream. That's our goal. That we are, Our life is continually in process of looking more and more like Jesus. Dallas Willard said it best, so I just stole it from him. He defined spiritual transformation as this. It is a Holy Spirit-driven process. Now stop there for just a moment. This is important. What this means is my desire to be like Jesus will not be me working myself real hard, me trying hard, me trying to figure it all out. It will not begin with me. It begins with God. It begins with His Spirit at work. Did you see that spit flying there? Boy, that was impressive. Did you see that? No wonder nobody sits right here in front of me. That's a good old spit. God is the one who initiates it. It is driven by the Holy Spirit in such a way that it is forming the inner world of the human self in such a way that it becomes like the inner being of Christ himself. That there's something going on in my heart and in my life that it is being transformed to the likeness of Jesus. In short, it means I'm becoming more like him. And if that's going to be the case for me and for you as we are in the midst of this kind of transforming process in 2010, it means we're going to have to capture Jesus' inner being. And Matthew chapter 20 gives us a story that tells us very explicitly about the heart and inner being of Jesus himself. So if you got your Bible, turn to Matthew chapter 20, or if you got one of those fancy schmancy iPhones with a Bible application, you could punch in Matthew chapter 20. The whole new world out there today. You could type in Matthew chapter 20. I want to share with you a story that I think reflects the heart of Jesus and what he's called us to. Matthew chapter 20, I'm going to begin in verse 20. Matthew 20, verse 20. Here's the story. Then the mother of Zebedee's sons, now picture this in your mind, a mother. Mama shows up. She's got two boys. They're the sons of Zebedee, which, by the way, uh, means sons of thunder, which I think they must have a temper. Like, if you push them hard enough, they get angry. It's kind of sons of thunder. They were kind of rumbling. Anyone know who the sons of thunder are? Who are they? Anyone know? James and John, the sons of Zebedee, their mama. So picture in your mind, James and John, their mother, they approach Jesus along with her two boys. They kneel down before Jesus to ask him a favor. Verse 21, Jesus asks, what is it that you want? To which she says, grant that one of these two sons of mine may sit at your right and the other at your left in your kingdom. Oh, mama, you got to love mothers, right? Now, I don't blame her one bit. I have no criticism whatsoever for the mother of James and John, the sons of Zebedee. All she's trying to do is make sure that when, I mean, she's seen Jesus. 
She's watched this man. We're talking, this dude is able to do miracles. He can take blind eyes and make them see. He can bring people who are dead back to life again. He's going to be an important figure. And she's anticipating the kingdom of Israel being restored with Jesus sitting at the center. And when that happens, she just wants to make sure that her sons do not miss out on it. She wants to make her boys, James and John, have a front row seat. So she comes to Jesus one day to ask whether or not, now see, this is what I love about mothers. Because a good mother is always looking out for her children, just wants them to get ahead, right? I mean, that's what good mothers do. My mother, bless her heart, she was always looking. I mean, I was able to do things in my life and achieve things in my life that I would have never been able to do had it not been for my mother. Because she's always looking out for me, for my best interest in mind. So, 15 years old, one day mom walks back into the house and says, you got a job, I got you a job at Martin's Supermarket, you need to go up there and talk to the manager. Just like that. See, I wouldn't have gotten my, I was too busy playing video games. I would not have gotten my lazy butt out there and got a job. But my mom helped me get a job at Martin's Supermarket. She's just got my best interest in mind and probably doesn't want me loafing around in the house any longer, right? Freshman year of college, I was coming home for the summer. Before I even got back to town, she calls me up and says, Hey, guess what? You're pouring concrete all summer long. I got you a job working for the Pabzinskis in Lake. I mean, there you have it, right? Don't tell anybody, but I was an Eagle Scout. Just keep on the down low. You know why I'm an Eagle Scout? Because my mother nagged me and nagged me to get done all the things you're supposed to get done to be an eagle. I mean, I owe a lot to my mother in regards to, I mean, was it irritating? Yes! But I thank her nonetheless. Thank you, Mom. See, and, and John, James and John, their mama, they're just looking out for the boys, so they go to Jesus, and she wants to know, hey, Jesus, when you were finally sit down on your throne, would it be all right if one of my boys gets to be your Secretary of State and the other one gets to be the Secretary of Defense? That's what she's asking. She just wants to make sure, she probably is good friends with Thaddeus' mother, but doesn't like her very much, right? So she wants to beat Thaddeus' mother to the punch and make sure that Jesus has a spot for James and John. And this is what Jesus says, verse 22. You don't know what you're asking. And she doesn't. Now, she thinks she does, but she really doesn't. He will follow that up by asking, can you drink the cup I'm going to drink? And what Jesus means by that is, what I'm about to walk through, do you really think you can do what I'm about to do? What I'm about to walk through, do you think you... That's what he means by, can you drink from the same cup that I am? To which they say, oh, sure we can. And they have no idea what they're saying. They have no... Crucifixion has not been said yet, right? They do not understand Jesus is about to walk through death and arrest and trial and persecution and crucifixion. And when he asks, can you drink this cup? They have no idea what they're saying. Now, the great irony is, is in their life, James and John both will give their lives for the Lord Jesus Christ. They really will drink from that cup. They just at the moment have no idea the taste that's going to come in their mouth in the process. And so that's what Jesus says. You have no idea. Verse 23, he says to them, you will indeed drink from the cup, but to sit at my right or left is not for me to grant. These places belong to those for whom they have been prepared by my Father. Isn't that, isn't that amazing? Even Jesus says, hey, only the Father knows who will sit at my right and left. I'm not even going to hand that out. But then I like this, verse 24. When the ten heard about this, now you know who the ten are, right? He had twelve apostles. Two of them are trying to kind of assert themselves by way of prominence and preeminence. And the other ten, it says, when they heard about this, they were indignant with the two brothers. Now, I don't think they were indignant like, how come you guys are not above self-promotion like we are? How come you don't have the heart like we have of Jesus? I think they're indignant because their mothers didn't step up first. I, mean, I think they're upset because in a moment they're thinking, oh no, we're about to be wedged out by James and John, and we want the place at right and left. And so I think Jesus kind of knows this. And so he calls them all together, and this is what he says. You know that the rulers of the Gentiles, right now he's pointing to something else. 
Now, he's not pointing within to their band that's been hanging together. He points to the rulers of the Gentiles and says, they lord it over them. There is a way in which the rulers of the Gentiles, they live their lives, they exercise their authority, that is like it rules over them, and their high officials exercise over authority over them. But then you've got these instructive words in verse 26, and this is very important. Not so with you. Now listen to what Jesus is saying. I know how the world works. I know what it looks like in the Roman Empire. I know the bureaucracy. I know the organizational structure. I know the flow chart. I know the titles. There is something going on in the world that at this moment, James and John and the other ten are clamoring for. We want to be important. We want to have preeminence. We want to have authority. We want to be important. And when Jesus notices that, he puts his finger on it and says, Oh, no, no, no. We know how it works in the world, but it will not be so with you. Among us, for those who are going to follow after me, there will be a new order, a new way in which things are going to happen. Instead, he says... Whoever wants to become great among you must be your servant. And whoever wants to be first must be a slave, your slave. Just as the Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve, and to give his life as a ransom for many. Now this is important. Even Jesus said, I am the Son of God. I left my throne sitting at the right hand of the Father, and for me, when I come to earth, it is not to exercise authority, to have such a huge title, it is to serve. And in that, if you're going to follow after me, you too have to have that same heart. Jesus doesn't seem to be interested in titles or organizational charts or bureaucratic structures or lines of authority. The bottom line is this, do you serve? Now listen to me now, if in 2010 we are interested in spiritual transformation and being different at the end of the year or looking more like Jesus, then this is what should echo in our hearts and minds. Do you serve? At the heart of the matter will be, are you willing to offer yourself for the sake of something greater than yourself? Are you willing to extend to another what God has given you in humility and love and generosity and sacrifice and peace? Are you willing to give yourself wholeheartedly to the purposes of God in such a way that it calls you to take up His life and to serve others, to do Jesus' things in Jesus' ways? And this is important. Because we could do Jesus things, but totally not in the spirit of Jesus. Now get Jesus a spirit. What is he saying? It's not about me. I've come to serve. And it is about you. You've come to serve. You should serve. But what I find is sometimes we can exercise our talents, but they, it totally lacks the heart of Jesus. And the most obvious way this comes about to me is not so much what you're willing to do, meaning what you're gifted at, but what you're unwilling to do. And so I see this at times in the body of Christ. Well, I'm a teacher. I like to have a small group and teach people the Bible, and I'm a Bible teacher, and you kind of start to think really highly of yourself in terms of your abilities to, I could go back and interpret the text and what it meant to them back then, and then I could make that hermeneutical move and, and help share with people how it applies to their life today. And so I like to lead people in Bible studies so they can understand the Word of God and its original context and all those things. And it, when you follow Jesus, what Jesus will say at moments are, that's great. That is awesome that you're able to expound on the Word of God and do those sorts of things, but there's a little kid who just puked in the bathroom and we need somebody to clean it up. And see, that reveals the heart all of a sudden when you begin, oh, but I, I teach the Bible. I don't clean up kids' puke, right? No, 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 for Jesus, this is having the kind of heart that's following after him that empties yourself and does Jesus kind of things in Jesus kind of ways. And so you go, oh, well, I'm a musician. I mean, God has given me a talent to play an instrument. And praise God for people who have been given talents to play instruments. Or I lift up my voice and praise to God, and I sing glory to him, and I encourage the body of Christ. And I think Jesus would come along and say, that is fantastic. You should continue to offer that in a Jesus sort of way with humility and service. But right now, you need to get your skinny jeans in there and help that single mother who's trying to wrestle her four kids. 
You see, I've been in Texas, so they wore skinny jeans. Because somebody tell me what's up with that? What is up with all the skinny jeans in Texas? You can be full of talent but lack the heart of Jesus, and Jesus puts his finger on a group of people, a group of men who are following after him who probably have legitimate titles and have legitimate talents and have things that they can offer, but Jesus puts his finger on it and says, oh, but we're going to do this like I do this. There's something in my heart that is so self-giving in nature that, and so when you see, when you don't see that heart of Jesus, you see things, well, I'm offended because they didn't mention my name. And all the things I've done around here, and I can't get a single announcement which they thank me for that out loud prayer. Or I didn't get my name in the bulletin or mentioned in the bulletin or didn't get listed there. No one seemed to, seemed to notice. You get upset when people don't seek after your advice for a particular matter. And so what happens, you begin to see real quickly, people can be very talented and very gifted, even from God, but totally lack the heart of servitude that you find in the person that is Jesus. So just watch people. As they walk over trash in the parking lot, it's not my problem. And if this is your first time here, I totally get it. Right? You go to the bathroom, and a little third grader's been in the bathroom washing their hands, and you know what that looks like, don't you? There's water everywhere. I mean, water all over the mirror, water all over the sink. If your first time here, that's not your problem, is it? You're like, man, somebody ought to clean that up. You walk right out. But if you're all in here at the Living Stones Church, you watch and see. See, this will, this will really reveal the heart of servitude. See, who walks in and goes, somebody ought to clean that up. But they don't ever think to themselves, I should clean that up. And that should somebody. I mean, this is where it goes back to the heart of, this is not about titles or organizational lines or bureaucratic structures. This is, are we walking and living in the manner of Jesus that gives us eyes to see that we ought to serve and how it is that we might ought to serve. And in that, it will have amazing things that, I mean, all of a sudden, where we park in the parking lot, where we sit, I mean, all those things become issues of eyes that see as Jesus sees in moments of service. Because Jesus is trying to build is a community of servants. I think this is so interesting. Jesus knows the world does not need another Roman Empire. The world doesn't need another emperor. The world doesn't need another governor. The world doesn't need people with authority in that way. What it needs is a community who has dedicated themselves to the service of God and to the service of others. And through that, Jesus says, I'm going to change the world. It will be revolutionary. It will be a new revolution on the face of the earth, not by people with titles and power, but by people who simply say, we want to have the heart and eyes of Jesus and serve where he calls us to serve. And in that, it should knock out of the church all desire for political power and prestige. Now listen to me, because I think the church misses this all the time. Every time there's an election in November, I see people in the church get all nervous and so, well, which party is going to win? Well, if he gets elected or she gets elected, then all, I mean... I'm telling you, Jesus had every opportunity to adopt the political systems of his world to change the world, but what he says to those who are following after him, I'm not working in any of them. That's not how we're changing the world. We're changing the world by being a new community that doesn't care about power or titles or elected offices, but rather having the heart of Jesus. And that's why every November, I'm not nervous by anything. My hope's not in that. My hope is not in who gets in office, who gets elected. My hope is in the person of Jesus who wants to give his heart and his life to a people who will say yes to him and in that community change the world. And in that he's got to put his finger on, yeah, all those political power grabs, that's not for you. It will not be so with you. And the second thing it does is it calls into question two historical failings of the church. For some of you might have grown up into a system that had very clearly defined clergy, and then the other side was laity, right? If you, excuse me as I burp here. As you have 
I mean, I had to. Was, <clears throat> I'm better now. Like, especially if you grew up like in a Catholic background or a high liturgical church, you probably grew up with this idea that you had people who were cl- clergy, and they're the ones that did the work of, of God, right? I mean, they're the ones who were professional. They were getting paid. They were the one who had the knowledge. They went to seminary. And so they're the clergy, and we leave the things of the church to them as the clergy. And on the other side is the laity, and those are the people who are not professionals. They're not getting paid for it. I'm telling you, that distinction you cannot find anywhere in the New Testament. You simply cannot find it. You do not find the distinction between clergy and laity. According to the New Testament, there is a priesthood of all believers, which means that all of us who are following after Jesus have been called to be ministers of Jesus, to serve in the manner of Jesus, in the name of Jesus. It's not about who's getting paid for it. We're all supposed to be doing it. And so this morning, if it's okay with you, I'm just going to ordain all of us. Can I ordain all of us? You are all ordained this morning for the ministry of Christ Jesus. And it doesn't entitle you to an office or to a special parking spot. There's no special business cards. You just you know when you walk out, you will walk out as a representative of Jesus Christ with his heart and his eyes and just begin to serve. That's what ministry is all about. And we've all been called to it, not just the paid professionals, but you have been called to look like Jesus and to do the things of Jesus. And in that, you can wear jeans and you don't have to wear a collar. I mean, I don't wear, I mean, you know what I'm saying? We should just vote now. Should we all wear collars or should we go with the jeans? Go with the jeans? I agree. That collar, that looks restrictive to me. Well, it's not about, I mean, you see what I'm saying? And depending on your background, depending on where you're, I mean, that could be like a, whoa, are you saying? Yes. When you go to work, you enter to work as a minister of Christ Jesus. But what about on, on, on the weekend? You are a minister of Christ Jesus. You are ordained for such a mission. And what do you do in it? You simply enter in those contexts with the heart of Jesus and the eyes of Jesus and see where you might humbly serve, not expecting anything. Don't expect him to go, oh, you're wonderful. You're so No, that's not why we... Listen to Jesus. Remember the ministry of Jesus? Do you know how many times he served and he did things and didn't get anything in return? There's a story he tells... There's the story in the Gospels where Jesus heals 10 people of leprosy. And leprosy is lethal. Leprosy, you couldn't be around anybody. You were unclean. You were truly isolated from the rest of society. Jesus comes around one day, finds ten lepers, heals nine of them, or heals all ten of them, and out of the ten, only one comes back and just says thank you. Only one. The other nine just went off and did their own deal, never came back and said thank you, and Jesus did it anyhow. This is his heart. This is his nature. It is service and oriented. And the third thing, not only does it kind of take away the clergy, laity distinctions, But it takes away, we talked about this last week, the idea of church as the dispenser of religious goods and services, and then therefore the masses that come and consume those religious goods and services. And you know what I'm talking about here, don't you? This is where you show up to church on Sunday morning for an hour and 15 minutes, you kind of fold your arms, you go, well, what are things going to be like today, and whether I'm going to like it or not. And as soon as you leave, you get back in your car, what's the first thing you talk about? Whether you like the sermon or not? What would you think about that? I don't know, he talks a little fast. Yeah, he's good looking, but he talks kind of fast. I know, I get it. Well, I don't know if I agree to that point. I don't know. I mean, it's, right. Well, what did you think of the songs? Ah, the first song was okay. I'm not sure. I mean, what is that? That's kind of moving into that consumeristic mentality where you're here to consume the goods and services we're issuing out on a Sunday morning. But when you read the New Testament, you get an entirely different picture that this isn't about you. This is about Jesus, and this is about others through you, that God wants to do something great, that Jesus pictures world revolution. At the heart of that is a community of people who are committed to serving others in the manner and nature of Jesus. Now, when I said good-looking, nobody said amen. Did you notice that? <laughs> We're moving on. 1 Corinthians chapter 12. Let me give you the picture that Paul gives us in 1 Corinthians chapter 12. 
He puts it like this, thinking through, everyone being a part of the body of Christ, everyone being a minister. In verse 4, he says this, there are different kinds of gifts, but the same spirit. There are different kinds of service, but the same Lord. There are different kinds of working, but the same God works all of them in all men. Now to each of one, the manifestation of the spirit is given for the common good. Now listen to me. If you've got a highlight, you should highlight this in your Bible. This is a good one to highlight. What Paul is saying is if you give your life to Jesus, what happens is the Spirit of God will give you something that is be used for what he says the common good or for the building up of the body of Christ. That each one of us has something. And you might not even be aware of what it is just yet. I mean, you might be wrestling with, yeah, what do I? What has the Spirit of God? But according to the New Testament, when you say yes to Jesus, in response, he gives you the Holy Spirit, and in that will give you something that is to be used for the common good. That's why it's not just about, oh, well, we pay that dude. But no, we all have something. He goes on and says, verse 8, to one there is given through the Spirit the message of wisdom. And so he's just kind of listing out some of the possible gifts. And I don't think this is an exhaustive list. Just, for example, you might have one where it's the message of wisdom. To another, the message of knowledge. To another, the message of knowledge or by that same Spirit. To another, faith by that same Spirit. To another, gifts of healing by that one Spirit. To another, miraculous powers. To another, prophecy to another distinguishing between spirits, to another speaking in different kinds of tongues, and to still another the interpretation of tongues. All of these are the work of one and the same spirit, and he gives them to each one just as he determines. So th this is about the spirit of God. Is it work giving everybody different gifts? And so you get a picture of that. Paul kind of now he backs up and says, let me kind of give you an analogy what I mean by this. Let me give you a picture. And he points to the human body. And this is what he says. The body is a unit. Though it is made up of many parts, and though all of its parts are many, they form one body. So think one whole body, but many different parts. And you know this, right? This is kind of elementary, right? You have fingers and toes, and we could sing a kid's song about this bone connected to that bone. You get the idea. So it is with Christ. Verse 13. We were all baptized by one spirit into one body, whether Jews or Greeks, slave or free, and we were all given the one spirit to drink. Now the body is not made up of one part, but of many. And if the foot should say, because I'm not a hand, I don't belong to the body, it would not for that reason cease to be part of the body. And if the ear should say, well, because I'm not an eye, I don't belong to the body, it would not for that reason cease to be part of the body. If the whole body were an eye, where would the sense of hearing be? I mean, you just, it's trying to be comical. It's absurd, isn't it? If the whole body was just an eye, then you wouldn't be able to... If the whole body were an ear, where would the sense of smell be? But in fact, God has arranged the parts in the body, every one of them, just as he wanted them to be. If they were all one part, where would the body be? As it is, there are many parts, but one body. And that's why he'll go on and say in verse 21, The eye cannot say to the hand, I don't need you. And the head cannot say to the feet, I don't need you. On the contrary, those parts of the body that seem to be weaker are indispensable, and the parts that we think are less honorable we treat with special honor, and the parts that are unpresentable are treated with special modesty. And he goes on and just talks about the body, and really, if the body is suffering, the whole body suffers. And if the body rejoices, the whole body rejoices because we're interdependent, we're interconnected. That's why when you wake up on a Sunday morning and you're so tired and exhausted, you just want to hit the snooze and go back to bed, or you think to yourself, I'll go to the 1130 service, which how many of you did that this morning? You're coming at 930, but yeah, see, but now you woke up and you're tired. And you begin to go through that exercise of, oh, I don't feel like going. Here's what I would say. The body needs you. See, if all churches is that place where you consume things like religious goods and services, then that question makes a whole lot of sense. What am I going to get out of it? I'd much rather sleep. That makes total sense. But if you wake up on a Sunday morning with the heart of Jesus, a servant's heart that doesn't ask, what am I going to get out? Would I rather sleep? But rather, what might be the body of Christ because I'm not there? It changes everything. 
What that means is if you don't show up, the foot of the body of Christ is not here and Jesus is handicapped. And what if somebody walks in here this morning looking for Jesus and all we had to present is a handicapped Jesus? Because the foot decided to roll over and hit the snooze button. What if somebody came in and needed really the hands of Jesus this morning, but the hands decided to sleep in? And see, it's, a, it's a radical shift in thinking between, well, what am I going to get out of this morning and it's all about me and what do I feel like doing? But rather, no, God has called us to be the body of Christ, to be the full body of Christ, and in that every part is essential. And even you parts that think you're not essential, I'm telling you because i got a front row seat to what goes down here, I'll tell you there's so many parts that we don't even know about that happens during the week and happens in ways that we just don't communicate out loud to people. But if they were to stop, I'm telling you, this body of Christ would come to a complete halt and we would be a short-circuited, handicapped Jesus. And Paul says, that's why you're so necessary. That's why it's so important that you recognize God has given you something and you should give that for his glory, which should lead you then to ask, well, if that's true then, if I've given my life to Jesus and the Spirit of God has given me something, how do I know what that is? How do I know what that something is? Well, let me give you some, some thoughts. <laughs> One, I think, if you just step out and start to serve in the manner of Jesus, the Spirit of God will give you the gifting you need. And I think gifts kind of work like this. It might be possible that in your life you get a particular gift and it's permanent. I mean, like, till the day you die, that's your gift. You have it. You're good at it. God has clearly given that to you. But I think there's other times when if you just take a step out into ministry, a step out of faith to do something, you'll find the Spirit of God will give you exactly what you need at that time and at that moment. And you might not see it for the rest of your life, but at least in this moment, you receive it because it's what's necessary for the glory of Jesus. And some of you might have experienced this where you already know who you are and what you have and what you're good at and what you're not good at, and just for whatever reason, in a moment, you took a step of faith and began to do something you have never done in your life, and you found the power of God come right behind you, empower you in ways that you just know, that isn't me. I don't talk like that. I'm not that kind of a person. I'm not that good. I'm naturally not really capable of, but all of a sudden you found you're being empowered with something from the Spirit of God to see you in that situational moment. But what I think, though, is, is for most of us, we have passions that God has given us like God-ordained passions where there's something that makes your heart, I and mean, it could be anything. For some of you, it's just children, like just children in general. It's like you just love little kids, love to be around little kids. You are not tired or exhausted at all around little kids. Which I don't get that at all, but for some of you, you understand it. And for others of you, it might be more specific. It's, it's children with special needs, that there's something in that moment that you just know God has called you into that situation, and you move in it with such grace and humility and peace, and you're just good at it. Now, you have a child who's autistic and who's going through all sorts of things, but when you're around, there is calm and there is peace, and that child has maximum engagement in the classroom, and you just know God's given you that because it's your passion, and you could ask anyone around you, and they could say, oh, they're passionate about that. For some, for some of you, it just might be unwed teenage mothers. For whatever reason, that just makes you just, you have a passion for that, you have a heart for that. There are, and see, when you have a passion, it's hard for you to, you can't understand why everybody else around you doesn't have your passion. That's the way it works. When you get really passionate about something, you're so passionate about it that you think everybody should have your exact same passion. And that's not a bad thing, but God gives other people different passions. And, and when all those passions come together that are ordained by God, it's amazing what the body of Christ can do. And so in that, if you don't know, you should just ask the people around you, hey, if you were to, what do you think that God's given me by way of passion? What, do you, what would you guess? I bet people around you would know. And in that, I think God gives you a gift. For some of you, it's the gift of encouragement. And I mean it. This is a real gift from the Holy Spirit. You have an ability and a knack to know what to say that just encourages someone in a powerful way. 
for whatever reason, God has given you a gift to know exactly when to send that card or exactly when to send that email or exactly when to say those words. And I'm th- not everybody has that. And you might have it and you're thinking, oh, I just thought everybody had it. No, they don't. I don't have the gift of encouragement. I mean, that glass is like half empty and I'm pessimistic. And, and But some of you, see, and if it's just me in the body of Christ, we're in trouble. But for some of you, I mean, it's the gift of encouragers. They come in and they just know exactly what to say, when to say it and how to say it. And people walk out just blessed because of your gift of encouragement. Now imagine, if you could take a passion for children and that gift of encouragement and those come together, imagine what happens in the lives of children. Just imagine. Those little children, whatever they're walking through, get to experience in you a giftedness of encouragement. And for others of you, you have a gift of administration. And you know what I'm talking about, right? I'm talking to the type A OCD people for a moment. Come on, listen in real quick, because we got our own little club going down here. You're able to see something that's disordered and unorganized, and it's just a mess, and in your mind, and I'm telling you, in two minutes, you could put it all back together again, right? You just know, you do these four or five things on this list, and I'm telling you, there'll be some real structure and organization, and I can't tell you how helpful that is to people who don't have this gift. And if you've ever seen ministries that are lacking somebody with the gift of administration, it's confusing, it's messy, it's just everybody's unhappy. But you bring somebody with a gift of administration to that, oh, it's so much smoother, and it's helpful, and it's, I mean, and so, the, just imagine that. That your gift of ministration being able to come in. For others of you, it's the gift of giving. I mean, you're just, you're just generous. Not, I'm not talking about just with money. I mean, just you have a real gift to give from yourself resources that are necessary for others. Others, it might be hospitality. I mean, people walk into your home or walk into your sphere of influence, they just feel right at home. You know what I'm saying? For others of you, you've got a prophetic gift. You have a way of hearing from the Lord and giving a timely word in a, a relevant manner at this time. And for others, it's just craftsmanship. I mean, and some of you dudes, I mean, you could fix anything. I mean, I look at something that's broken, that's it. <laughs> got to pitch that out because you ask my wife. Uh, she never says, hey, honey, could you fix? Because she knows it will be worse. So it's bad. But some of you just have an ability. You just kind of, I, I get around people with a gift of craftsmanship. They put, I've just seen God at work in such a way where he puts those things together with passions amazing things happen and they're born out of that spirit of our heart that looks like Jesus that's willing to serve and it ain't about us it's about him and what I find is for most people you put all that together in terms of personality and I think there's passions and there's gifts and then your personality when those three things are firing all together in the right way I mean I'll tell you ministry could be wonderful because we have different personalities amen no really amen this we got different personalities some of you are task oriented and that's good. I mean, we need task-oriented people in the body of Christ. They make li- you know, people make lists, and they make lists about their lists. You know those people? They're the people that when they check off something on their list, it's just like, oh, it's like crack. I mean, oh, they just checked off a lip point on their list. Others of you don't get that at all. You're just like, that makes no, I don't even make lists. I know, and you people are weird, but I mean, right? And on the other hand, you got people-oriented people. I mean, they're not task I mean, they're, they love to be around people. They get energy from people. They just love people. I mean, they're the kind of people that when you talk to them, you really do believe they have waited to talk to you the entire week. You know people like that, right? When you talk to them on the phone, it is as if they have nothing else to do the rest of the day but to talk to you, and nothing is deli- I mean, that's the way. Now, if you're in the hospital, who do you want to come and see you? I mean, let's be honest, right? You don't want some guy walking with a Franklin Day planner saying, I'm here to visit you, and then as he's walking out the door, he checks you off. You want somebody to walk in who it's like they got nothing else to do. They just they they have come to be with you, and when when gifts and passions and personalities come together, it becomes a beautiful thing. And I'm telling you, the world around us needs it. They need a community of servants who are willing to have the heart of Jesus and do Jesus things in Jesus ways. And I will change Riley High School. I promise you. 
it will change Riley High School. And I think God will raise up among us people who just can't explain it, but they just have a heart and passion for those students at Ryan. And they'll find in their prayer time, they just naturally gravitate to prayers for the principal and for the teachers and for the students at Riley High School. They'll begin to take little steps of faith. Did you know every Monday night back here in the, uh, the pit, we call it the pit, <laughs> in the pit back here, uh, we have 40 kids that show up for Young Life. Most of them come from Riley High School. And here's what I think happens. As people take a little tiny step of faith, here's what I think is going to happen. Here, you're going to show up to one of those Young Life events, and you won't even have any idea. You'll have no agenda. You won't have any idea what's going to happen. And you show up. You know what's going to happen the first week? Nothing. You know what's going to happen the second week? Maybe nothing. But you just keep taking a little step of faith. And by the third week, there'll be somebody in that group, some kid from Riley High School that God has placed on your heart that you've been praying for, and all of a sudden she has a conversation with you, and you just kind of connect. And what even a deep conversation is one of those beginning intro conversations. How are you? Good. What's your name? What are you into? Those sort of things. And then that's it. And you'll think, well, that's it. But then you'll go back the next week, and what you'll find is she'll share more of her story, and you'll have a greater burden and passion for that, little, for that girl, and you'll hear things that will just, whoo, and it won't, you won't be repulsed by it. You'll enter deeper, you'll lean in, and you'll pray more, and you'll serve more. And what will happen is, over time goes on, as you move deeper into her life story, she will know you, she will trust you, and in the moment where she will need some, a voice of compassion and love and courage to help her choose life and Jesus, in the moment of her life, it will be you who will speak words of blessing. And then someday when she's older, she'll recount her story, and in the future, her story will always include you. You'll be a part of that story. And then I met so-and-so at this Young Life group, and she became a foundation for me by way of helping me see Jesus and all that I could be in Jesus. And you had no idea that was going to happen. You just took a step of faith. That's what it means to have Jesus' heart and to serve in the manner of Jesus. For others of you, it's with children. You have no idea what God has by way of agenda, but if you'll just step out and serve little children in Kids Canyon, this is what might happen. And I'm telling you, Living Stones, this is, this is a real possibility. You might become the only constant in a kid's life. You might be the only one who is there constantly in this little child's life as they watch their mother and father end up in a divorce or as they transfer to yet another school and they don't know anybody, but all week long they can't wait to get back to here because they know you and they know you love them. And they know there's something in your heart that you're just being Jesus. And you didn't even have an agenda. You just became that. And, and even in the moment, you might not even know what's happening because sometimes those little kids, they can't tell you. Did you know you're the constant in my life? They can't tell you that. And then when they have to move to yet another house or another apartment complex and they lose all the friendships that they had around them and once again they've got to start all over again, you might be the only constant in their life. Or it might be their mom once again has her, her third live-in boyfriend and they don't know this guy, and even what this guy is capable of, you might be the only constant in that child's life. When that child grows up, you'll be a part of the story. You didn't know. It wasn't even your intent. You just decided to step out and do Jesus' things in Jesus' ways, and that's how God seems to work. Or you might join a growth group, and you join it because you're looking for some friendships and maybe some spiritual growth, but if you go with a servant's eyes and with a servant's heart, what you'll find is you might become a genuine and true friend to somebody, and you didn't know it on a Sunday morning because we try to project our best selves on Sunday morning, but in that growth group, you might find out that somebody in that growth group who you become a genuine friend with has an addiction going down in their life, and you will walk through them through all of that, and you'll be a part of their story. That someday, when they tell their story, what they'll say is, and so-and-so, referring to you, called me every day just to encourage me to live a life free from what it was that I was addicted to. You become a part of life of the story. And why? Because you planned on it? No, you just took a step of faith with a Jesus heart and Jesus eyes to serve, and he does amazing 
powerful things. And it could go down to such the small, simple things. Do you know people that drive down Donmore that live all around us? Some of them are in such depression and sadness, and their world is dark. I mean, they haven't seen color in forever. I mean, just it's just all shades of gray. They haven't heard good news. They've not seen anything. And you know how God works? What he does is he takes people here at the Living Stones Church who are willing just to serve in Jesus' ways with a Jesus heart, and the next thing you know, they commit themselves once a week to doing landscaping out here in the front. They put in things like little ponds. They put in rocks. They, they plant flowers. And you have no idea when that moment of such darkness and there's such shades of gray and there's no color that they drive down Donmore, and for whatever reason, the Spirit of God calls them to turn their head and look over there. And in that moment, for whatever reason, God allows them to see color. And it draws people to himself. And nobody intended, I mean, you just stepped out. God works that way. And I want you to know that you need to know going into this that most people tend to discount what they have. Most people tend to discount, oh, I'm not good at that. I don't know enough Bible for that. I'm not able to do, I mean, that's what most people, first thought is that they're, they're not, it's the not, you're not able. The good news is, according to Paul in 1 Corinthians chapter 1, you're the only ones that God uses. I mean, that's what Paul says in 1 Corinthians chapter 1. Who of you that were noble or wise or rich? And he goes on to say, most of you are the knots of society, and God tends to use you because in the end you won't ever go, look at me and how great I am. Do you see what I do? I mean, look, I'm, so, I'm all that, right? What you do is you say, that was all God. And he gets glory out of that. Don't discount what God has given you for his sake and for his kingdom. And, and so even like you're, all right, well, let's take a step of faith. In your bulletin, pull it out here. There's a little insert in your bulletin. And really, there are so many different opportunities. You could do so many different things. But if you're just here this morning thinking, all right, you've convinced me I should do something for Jesus. I want to take a little step. Let me give you eight real quick on-ramp first steps that are possible for you. And on this sheet, it's called There's an App for That. And there's lots of different things on here. You know what happens to people who come here for the first time? Let me tell you what happens. The people who come to Livingstone Church the very first time. They're in their car with their family. They don't normally go to church. and They're coming to church for the very first time, and they're fighting all the way here. That's what happens. And all the way here, they're trying to talk themselves out of coming to church at the Living Stones Church. And anything and everything, I mean, even down to that is the smallest little entryway of a parking lot, and they'll try to talk themselves out of turning to, to, get, to get in here. And then when they turn in, they go to that sinkhole. Has anyone seen the sinkhole in our parking lot? They'll run over that and think, I'm leaving right now. I, this church is... Or they'll finally park and not know... And I'm telling you, sometimes it's just somebody who's standing here on the porch who says, in the spirit of Christ, really am glad that you're here at the Living Stones Church. And they give a smile and a countenance that says, welcome to this place, that all of a sudden starts to bring some of those things. I, it happens all the time. And if you want to take a step out, I think there's a place for you to be able to, I mean, it is, most people think, oh, you're just handing out a bulletin. I'm telling you, you are engaged in spiritual warfare with the heart of Jesus. I promise you, that's what's happening. For the others of you, you're thinking, Hey, I could cook. I like to cook. I like to make meals. We got babies being born all over the place here. I'm telling you, it's crazy. There's something in the water. If you don't want babies, don't drink anything here. <laughs> but we got a ministry who, man, let's just bless people with meals if they need that. Or, you know, that might be where you're at. That could be. We have all sorts of things from folding bolts, preparing communion, all those sorts of things. We've got opportunities in Kids Canyon that I'm telling you will be phenomenal that you could be a part of. It will change a kid's life. And so you could see driving the van, working with your hands on Wednesday night to come here and build things and fix things and support things. It could be with junior high students, senior high students. There's opportunities on there. With Young Life, I'm telling you, you might not ever want to lead a growth group, but you might be thinking, I'll open my home to a growth group. That would be so helpful to us. 
for you just to say, yeah, once a week you want to have a growth group in my house, I am totally available to open up my house and I have a gift of hospitality and a passion to see people grow in this context. You can, and see, if that's where you're at, then take the sheet, read over it, find an on-ramp, and just at least start there and see if God doesn't bless that. On that connection card is the accompanying check marks. If you want to check a box there, it's also going to be on our website. But let me encourage you, just it's time to just take a, to be all in, to say, I'm going to have a Jesus heart and watch what God does in your life as he transforms you in 2010 just by stepping out and serving. Let me end with this. Ephesians 4, 12 and 13. This is Paul saying, he's talking about some of the leaders of the church, but he says this is what they're to do. They're to prepare God's people for works of service so the body of Christ may be built up until we reach unity in the faith and the knowledge of the Son of God and become mature. Listen to this. Attaining the whole measure of the fullness of Christ. Picture that in your mind. Attaining to the whole measure of the fullness of Christ. I think what, what Paul's saying is this goes back to that. We, we don't want to be a crippled Jesus or a handicapped Jesus. We want to be a full-bodied Jesus. Now, I can't do that by myself, and you can't do that by yourself. And this is what happens. God's given you things he just hasn't given me. He just hasn't. And he's given me things that he hasn't given to you, and that's okay. But when we come together in one body, then we become the full body of Christ. And it happens to me every week. I'll be done here in a little bit, and I'll go back in the lobby. Hi, how are you? Good to see you. I'll shake your hand. We'll greet, and you'll go on. And, and really, you might not be okay. And really, there's even something on your face that says you're not okay, but I don't see it. I'm just in that preacher, how good to see him. I mean, you know, I'm you know what I'm talking about, and I won't see it. But Michelle Vaughn will be back there as well. And Michelle Vaughn, God has given her the ability to see things that I don't see. And somebody might smile right at me, and I might think they're just fine, but Michelle Vaughn can see in their countenance they're not okay. And she'll either just to herself begin praying for you, or she might even ask you, is there something I could pray for you? And that entire, and really, God will do an amazing, powerful thing in your life, not because he gave that to me, but because he gave that to her. And there's all sorts of things like that. He has given you things this morning that he simply has not given to me. And somebody is here this morning because they need to find Jesus. They need him. In fact, they're here because they're desperate for Jesus. And if it's just about Sam, we're stuck. And it's sorry. And it's handicapped. But if it's not just about Sam, but it's also about you, and you begin to exercise what God has given you, then they might encounter the full-fledged, the full body of Christ. And that's what it means to have Jesus' heart and to serve in Jesus' way. So let's pray and ask God for that for us together. Father, we ask that you would give us exactly what we need to serve you well. First, we ask that you just give us the heart of Jesus. This is our beginning point. We want to have his eyes to see people like he sees people. We don't want to see people and be repulsed, and we don't want to see people and shrink back. We want to see people as Jesus sees them, and in that it just moves us to great compassion. And then out of that heart, what we want to flow is that we'd be willing to do whatever it is that we need to do for glory. And so open up for us opportunities to see that, opportunities to experience that. Even this morning, Lord, I am asking that your spirit would just be upon us in such a way that it would be giving to us the gifts that we need to match up with our passions and to match up with our personalities in such a way that we get to experience the thrill of seeing kingdom victories for your glory's sake. Would you give that to us even now, I pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Let's stand. Let's sing together.